Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. This week we are all about the brown marmorated stink bug, which is a very long name for the greatest threat to New Zealand's biosecurity as we know it. The bug also goes by its scientific name, Haliomorpha halis, or the BMSB, as it's known by those who have to deal with it every day. A huge amount of time and money is being spent every year trying to intercept this critter searching and turning back shipping containers, intercepting packages, ensuring constant vigilance at airports, and educating the public to enlist their help in spotting suspicious bugs. But what's it all in aid of? Just how bad would it be if the brown marmorated stink bug established itself in New Zealand? To find the answer, journalist and science communicator Damien Christie went to Italy. Italy like New Zealand, is a country reliant on horticulture with a range of crops similar to our own, from grapes to kiwi fruit, apples and pears, to peaches and nectarines. It's also a country currently reeling from a stink bug invasion that is so bad that some growers are walking off their farms. We arrive in Italy in the middle of summer. In the north, the temperature is sitting in the 30s and the humidity is brutal. Fortunately, our first stop in the town of Reggio Emilia is the air-conditioned laboratory of Italy's preeminent stink bug expert, Dr. Lara Mastrello. Because we changed yesterday, now we only have While the lab is cool, these bugs are used to living in the sticky heat of Asia, and so they live in climate-controlled containers. They look like big fridges, but do the exact opposite. Let me show you what we are doing here for the rearing. So basically, you see this is a, a bug dorm. We have to change twice in a week. So you can see here the tomatoes, and you can already see uh, the result of their feeding. It was changed yesterday, but you can see already. I'm excited to see my first brown marmorated stink bug up close. Having spoken to so many people over the past few years and read so many articles, these bugs have taken on a mythical quality for me. The box Lara pulls out might as well contain the bubonic plague, or anthrax. So evil are these little critters in my mind. This is the kindergarten of the Brahma Moretti sting bugs. We keep separated the younger instars, the nymphs. As soon as we spot the egg masses, we immediately remove them from the cage because there could be some cannibalism. Taking my first look, it's apparent the adult brown marmorated is a bit chubbier than our native brown stink bugs, or the green ones you find in the garden, but they're the same basic shape. Under a microscope, you can see they have spikes around their shoulders, but they're not born like that. The little nymphs go through five stages, known as instars, before they become adults. So usually from egg to adult, it takes 40, 45 days. It depends on the temperature, so usually it takes uh, five days for the eggs to emerge, about four to five days for each Easter to get to the next one. Okay, so here we see uh, an egg mass 
with the recently emerged first instar nymphs, which have this typical color, which is a, a reddish orange and black with the stripes. And you see here that they are staying on the egg mass because what they do is they're getting their microorganisms from the eggs, which is a present from their mother. Looking like little red and black ladybirds, the first instar nymphs could almost be considered to be cute, as far as insects go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two times a year, these events uh, for the people so that the lab is open and they come and they visit us and they learn about what we do. So usually, you know, the stink bugs are, oh, they're bad, they come in my house and so on. But when I show <laughs> the neonates, oh, so cute. <laughs> And especially the ladies, they cannot resist. Oh, look at them. <laughs> it's important to note how different some of these juvenile stages look from each other, particularly if we're supposed to be vigilant against an incursion here at home. Lara recalls that one population of bugs was discovered when a vet brought in a specimen he thought was a kind of tick, which turned out to be a second instar nymph. One thing all the nymph stages have in common, they can't fly. The wing buds are visible on the fifth stage, but it takes a final molt for them to work. But that doesn't mean the juvenile bugs can't get around. So they're very fast and they can crawl all over. So what they do in the field, uh, if they realize that uh, that uh, tree doesn't offer the good food for them, simply they crawl down, they go and then they crawl up on another tree looking for some good food. Some study from the American colleagues, they realized that they can go every day for about to 20, 25 meters, going up and down. I mean, can you imagine these very little things, uh, making meters and meters, but actually that's what they do. This extreme mobility is one of the success in the field because it's really difficult to um, control them using insecticides because if you use insecticides, what you do is that you spray on this place, and you just kill some, not even all, the bugs that are on the part that is uh, sprayed. But the other ones that are crawling or that are elsewhere, the day after will arrive there. And so that's why using insecticides is really not a good strategy to control them. Lara's work is all about trying to find alternative strategies to contain the bugs. You'll hear a lot about biocontrols, which is a way of saying, let's find something in nature that will kill this pest for us. The brown marmorated stink bug originates in Asia, where it has a native predator, the samurai wasp. Don't let the name fool you though, the samurai is about the least fearsome wasp you'll ever see. The size and almost indistinguishable from the ants we get at home. The samurai won't hover around your fish and chips and try and get into your fizzy drink can in summer. It's got a one-track mind, and that track is all about stink bug eggs. To the samurai wasp, these eggs are little pouches of baby food, so it lays its own eggs inside them, which is why it's called a parasitoid. When they hatch, the juvenile wasps are surrounded by nourishing stink bug goo. Lara shows us a cluster of stink bug eggs under the microscope. Instead of being white, they're dark inside, a sign that the wasps have done their work. These are eggs that have been recently parasitized. What a parasitoid does is that after mating, the females will look for the host, for the eggs of the host. Once they find the egg, 
and they realize that the egg is okay for them, then the female will lay the egg inside the egg of the host. One egg inside each egg. And also what they do, usually, they mark the egg where they already laid the eggs. Why? Because otherwise, herself, or another female, if she doesn't know, if it is not marked, will lay the egg in the same place. As a result, nobody will develop. And then inside the egg, the development of the parasitoid, the larva that comes out of the egg, will have a very fast, pretty fast development, and will feed on the content of the egg, and will grow. So as a result, from the egg, in this case of the Brahma Moretti stingbug, you will get uh, an adult <laughs> of uh, a natural enemy, which is uh, uh, the parasitoid. So this is, yeah, like Alien, the movie Alien, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> That's what it, they do. In New Zealand, the Environmental Protection Agency has already given the green light to releasing the samurai wasp in the event of a brown marmorated stink bug incursion. Italy's biosecurity laws don't allow for such a release, however beneficial it might be. But somehow, small numbers of the wasp have recently been discovered in Italy, and Italy's own native parasitoid wasps have also been found attacking the brown marmorated stink bug, just not as effectively. But as the damage to crops continue to grow, the pressure for a scientific solution, and maybe a law change, grows with it. The hope uh, in terms of sustainability is uh, that uh, biocontrol will be the uh, opportunity to finally, of course it's not going to be a short time uh, solving of the problem, uh, but definitely biocontrol is probably the best and of course more sustainable way uh, to get finally a control of this very difficult uh, sting bug. So because the problem with Brahma Moretti sting bug is becoming grower and grower, and this year especially is really terrible, and the farmers are really angry and they really need solutions. And so what they're doing now is they try to pressing on the politicians in order to change the law, in order to allow the possibility to mass rear and mass release the Trisolcus japonicus, which is known to be the species that, at least in the native area, is the best one as a biocontrol agent for the uh, brown mammalitis thing bug. A couple of hours due north from Lara's lab, and the flat landscape gives way to mountains on either side. It's reminiscent of central Otago, and fittingly, on a vineyard perched on the hillside, we meet a Kiwi scientist. Professor Max Suckling from Plant and Food Research has been spending the Italian summer near Trento, studying the stink bugs to help better prepare in case they ever reach our shores. So everyone in New Zealand who's working in the fruit industries is already very aware of the brown marmorated stink bug and the damage that it can cause because we've seen it happen in other countries apart from what we're seeing here in Italy. It's done tremendous damage in the US and it's now in a number of other countries in Europe and in Georgia, for example, uh, where the hazelnut industry is being completely trashed by this insect. And the large company, Ferrero Rocher, it's a very large Italian company, is very worried about sourcing their hazelnuts, which are being tremendously damaged by the stink bug. So for New Zealand, it's the kiwi fruit, and it's the apples, it's the berry fruit, all the other crops are being damaged by this bug. And if it gets into New Zealand, we're going to see the same kinds of trends there. And so the reason for us being here and trying to develop new methods quickly is partly for surveillance, but also for eradication of the brown marmorated stink bug. We want to get in ahead of the insect getting into New Zealand. Can you give me some reasons why the stink bug, in particular, sorry, the brown marmorated stink bug in particular, is so much worse than not only other stink bugs, but so many other species? This is pretty much our number one pest, isn't it? 
it is very much a, a serious super pest. I would call this a super pest because of the scale of the damage. And it's partly because it has such a wide host range. So here in San Michele, we're seeing it in the forest. And so it's, it's attacking the fruits and the seeds. Uh, it will go through the summer attacking seed heads of grasses even, and then move on to the fruit as the fruit ripens. So here in the vineyards, we're starting to see it move in on the grapes. So it's a superbug because of the economic damage that it can cause, but also it's a hitchhiker. It spreads very, very quickly. And in a region like this, where you can hear the trains and you can see the cars and the trucks just moving things around, the bugs are hopping on and hopping off and just moving around through Europe very, very quickly. The same thing will happen in New Zealand. It will move through the country quickly because it's human-assisted. We can't stop the bug jumping onto a car or a truck and, and moving down the line. And if it's a female and she's able to lay eggs, she'll establish a new population very, very quickly. The rate of increase of the bug per generation is astounding. People are still estimating it, but one of the estimates from here in Italy is in the overwintering generation, up to 25 times more bugs per bug in the next generation. And then maybe only five in the summer generation. But if you multiply five times 25, you get 125 times more bugs per year. And this helps to explain the rapid increase that's been seen here in Europe. Multiplying more than a hundredfold each year, it's no surprise that since first being discovered in Italy in 2012, the bugs are now at epidemic proportions, forcing some farmers off their land. Lara has arranged for us to visit some farms with crops that stink bugs like to eat, which is almost all of them. The scientific term is polyphagous. It means the bugs are not fussy eaters. The stink bug happily devours apples, pears, stone fruits, grape, kiwi fruit. That list alone should be enough to terrify most New Zealanders. They'll even eat nuts, seeds like sunflowers, and as we pull over on the side of the road to see our first infestation in the wild, row after row of soybean plants covered in brown marmorated stink bugs. Unlike in Asia, where the ecosystem of stink bugs and wasps is kept in balance, the recent explosion of BSMB in Italy is unable to be contained naturally, and farmers are left grasping for options. Lara tells me this patch of soybeans was sprayed just a couple of days ago. Whether the bugs left and came back or died and were replaced, it seems they've had no impact. This crop, like so many, will be a write-off. Down the road, outside Reggio Emilia, we meet a pear grower. Lara translates for us. He says that this is a butter variety, but the other variety, the canna that was harvested already, he says that they were totally unrecognisable. They were monsters. His family have farmed this land for decades or longer. Recent years have been tough enough, he tells us, with pear prices barely covering the cost of production. This year, though, he's likely to have nothing to sell. Almost 100% of his pears have been ruined by stink bugs. Uh, what he says is that uh, with uh, all this pear, the, the first year in uh, 2018, all down, fell down... All, yeah, like, like all the pears here, yeah, fell down, that's it, total loss. All the pears, they will be collected, put in the beans, they will only get uh, uh, three cents, uh, tre centesimi alla, al kilo, three cents per kilogram, and that will be used, uh, yeah, probably to make some uh, processed stuff, but very, very little. 
so it's really huge, huge damage. So he says that until 2017 the damages were considered to, to, to be okay, pretty much. However, since 2018 and now, the damages are so high that really he says they cannot, you know, uh, be up with the cost of production. They really say it's almost impossible to survive. We are really seriously thinking about giving up. As the damage rose, the farmer made his farm available for experimental treatments. So he's saying in this case, his, uh, his farm, he, it, he was available for uh, some uh, uh, experimental trials so last year, l'anno scorso. Oh, this year, okay, this year. So in this case, they tried the Reldan, which is chlorpyrifosmethyl, uh, they tried uh, um, some uh, products based on garlic because they thought that uh, garlic, because it is uh, heavily repellent, could have an effect on, on the Brahma Moretti's thing. But, so he said that this year he made the experimental trials and he made the treatments were performed not weekly, every four or five days, so more than once in a week. But <laughs> no effects, like we compared the control, the garlic and the reldon, no differences and the damage is always very, very high. So nothing works. Further east, we meet another pear grower. Despite being nine months pregnant, she's handling the fierce midday heat and cloying humidity better than the rest of us, as she takes us for a walk down the rows of largely undamaged pears. The difference here, the entire orchard is covered in netting. While the juvenile bugs can still crawl underneath, it's enough to stop widespread crop loss. So uh, we are in an orchard under a net, a net that is, uh, it was built to protect the orchard uh, against Aliomorpha alice. So uh, we can see the row is um, 400 metres long. So we can see the difference between the first 10 meters near the net and the last 100 meters um, near the wood. This is a good quality of pearl. So the damage is very, very low uh, in the first row. Helimorpha hallis. The farmers often refer to the bug here by its Latin name, which seems appropriate in the birthplace of the Roman Empire. As we walk to the end of the rows, we start to see damaged fruit, although no sign of the bugs themselves. The difference between one end of the orchard and the other is that one borders a small wooded area, while the other backs onto a road. The woods provide perfect shelter for the stink bugs, and when they venture out for food, they only go as far as they need to, to the pear trees adjacent. Stink bugs might be polyphagous, but they're lazy too. This is known as a perimeter effect, where crops on the edge of a plantation are more badly affected than those inside. In the case of pears, being stung when the fruit is small causes them to crease and twist and deform. Basically, they're not pear-shaped. These ones up, this misshapen ones up here. The pear is all uh, is not a pear. If you can see, it's not a fruit. So we make with this pear uh, fruit juice, if the industry manages to. Because in this case, if we open the pear, we can see that there are uh, some damages in the inside. Yeah. So you can't juice that? No. Yeah. If uh, someone, someone buys this pear, 
is not uh, eatable. So uh, it is not good for the consumer. We're interested to see an organic farm. Even if sprays are a little use against the bugs, what does it look like when they're not used at all? Much of New Zealand's crops, while not necessarily fully organic, are produced with little chemical spraying, so it's going to be useful to see. It's three o'clock when we arrive at the organic pear farm, and I'm reluctant to leave our air-conditioned rental car. The sun is brutal. Yeah, I know there's probably not a lot of sympathy for a gig where I get to leave the New Zealand winter for a summer tour around Italian wine country, but trust me, this is unpleasant. Our farmer, though, is cool as the proverbial cucumber, right down to his stylishly casual Italian fashion sense. And he has something really interesting to show us. He apologises for his English, and we agree he can speak in Italian if he needs to, but he's being modest. My name is Stefano, Stefano Ruggeri. Uh, we have uh, three hectares of, uh, of orchards. 2009, uh, we start uh, the, the organic uh, farming. In 2010, we started to, to use the net, not for sting bugs, but for uh, carpocaps. We realized that uh, the net is uh, useful uh, not only uh, against the carpocaps, but, uh, but uh, the bugs. <laughs> His pears are being grown in what's called a 2D system. Rather than allowing the trees to bush out in a normal, circular fashion, the plants are trained to grow almost flat along the rows. This means individual rows can easily be netted, in this case originally against capocapsa or codling moth, but it's working well against the stink bugs too. What's really interesting is he's left some of the older 3D trees unnetted right next door. It's a perfect experiment to show the effectiveness of the netting on these trees. We spray uh, organic products in the, in the old uh, orchard, but we have not uh, results. It's a good um, experiment. Yes, we, yeah. we see the, the, the difference. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's immediately. While we've seen a few pear orchards so far, single crop orchards aren't commonplace in this part of Italy. Unlike New Zealand with its many large corporatized growing operations, most of the places we visit are small family farms. Many grow a range of crops, a couple of rows each tree, each coming ripe at a slightly different time, meaning the family aren't overwhelmed at harvest time and can space it out over the months. Unfortunately, this also works perfectly for the stink bug. The next day our guide, Mikel, a technician from the Italian horticultural research group Astra takes us around a number of stone fruit and kiwi fruit farms to show us the damage there. From the outside, there may just be small dents or light brown spots, but underneath the skin, it's a lot worse. This is the superification, the reaction of the fruit. The vegetable cell reacts to the saliva, the phytotoxicity, creates this superification, and we have these kind of symptoms visible, clearly visible, from a sting bug. We have, again, on this beach, this kind of damage. It's good, but you have this verification that brings this peach unsellable, so you have to throw it away. Suberification means the process of turning something into cork, which is what's happening under the skin of this stone fruit, thanks to the stink bug's toxic saliva. And as the unusable fruit are harvested so they don't rot on the trees, causing even more damage, the bugs move on to the next crop, kiwi fruit. In uh, Emilia-Romagna, where we are right now, we are observing the stink bug on kiwi fruit uh, 
from the end of this uh, August, September onward, so coming from the summer to the fall. Why, why is that? Uh, because before the sting bug was present mainly in other crops, such as peach and nectarine and pear, of course, other crops. So it's moving following the season, following the ripeness of the crops and the varieties. That makes it part of the problem, doesn't it? This is the, the, the adaptability or the... the yeah, the... actually it's very polyphagous and we have in this area a melting pot of every kind of crop and varieties. So this is, from one hand, very good for the farmer that can manage with his family uh, different crops in different parts of, of the season. But from the other hand, you, you have a pest that can follow this ripeness, this calendar. So we have an issue of moving in this landscape that is a patchwork of a lot of combinations. The nets are providing relief for some farmers, but they're not working in every area, and you can't net every crop. Back in Trento, Max Suckling has been trialling a number of new techniques to help combat the bugs in Italy, and hopefully prevent an incursion from establishing if they make it to our shores. So we have a range of different things that we're looking at. Surveillance is a key part of it. We have the pheromone, which colleagues in the U.S. identified a number of years ago, and that's commercially available now. And so we've been working with that and comparing different types of traps. One of the traps that we've been working on most recently is a live trap. And it's a little bit like a fish trap, basically. But it generates a pheromone plume, and the bugs are going into that trap in much higher numbers than they have been to the standard sticky panel, which is used by the New Zealand surveillance system, uh, by the Ministry of Primary Industries, for example, to try and intercept the bug in New Zealand. So we have a new trap from the work here. We also have another new trap. My colleague, Dr. Valerio Mazzoni, has been working on a vibration-based trap because these stink bugs communicate by vibrating the substrate. So the female calls and the male will run towards that call. And what we see in his behavior, if she's calling, he runs and then he stands high on his legs and listens just for a second to make sure he's heading in the right direction and then runs some more. Out in the vineyards, we are able to see a number of prototype traps in action, including the first field trials of the new vibration trap being developed by Dr. Valerio Mazzoni. This is the third day of this uh, instrument. And in three days, uh, we caught uh, 40, 50 individuals. But the point is that uh, then almost 90% of them are males. So if there is a male passing by, I have a very good chance to get it. While with the pheromones, my chance is very low. So that's the point of this trap. We are going to turn it on now. Catching males in particular may be a benefit to another part of Max Suckling's work, creating an army of the unsullied. Thousands of sterilised male stink bugs released to disrupt the bugs' attempts to breed in the wild. So the sterile insect technique is a fairly old idea uh, that's been used for eradication of Mediterranean fruit fly, for example, uh, for many years in quite a lot of countries, actually. And the concept is that you have some kind of a, a mass rearing facility, or as with our idea here, mass collection from the field, in this case for the stink bugs. But you collect the insects or you rear the insects and you irradiate them, and sterilize particularly the males and then re-release them. And those males will go out and search for a female and mate with her and the offspring will all be sterile. So that female has been taken out of commission. And if you can release more of the steriles than you have of the wild population, you can knock the population down very, very quickly. Helping Max with the sterilization experiments is Gerardo Rosselli. His lab is like an insect version of Married at First Sight, 
where male and female stink bugs are placed in a container together and given some privacy. The difference here is, each of the males has been subjected to different levels of gamma rays to determine what level produces sterility with the least damage to the bug itself, so it can still be a fit mate. The main idea is to use sterile males. We can make sterility using a gamma ray and have sterile males. So we have to find the correct dose to radiation and have very competitive males. And the idea is to put these males in the field in order to have a competition and have uh, sterile eggs. So despite to the fact that the, the adults feed on the fruit, on the crop, we can consider it this kind of uh, system. For example, in one island, like New Zealand, in, in the case uh, of a, a new colonization in a very limited area, it's possible. And the very interesting point is to, that we can collect males during the autumn, take advantage of the natural ruled, pheromone ruled um, behavior of aggregation of these species during the autumn. So the last year we were able to collect more than 10,000 sting bugs using pheromone traps and uh, manual trapping also. And uh, with the new traps, I think that we can improve a lot the numbers. So whether it's releasing an army of irradiated bugs, new chemical sprays, protective netting or a robotic mating call luring males to their deaths, there's no shortage of techniques being trialled against the brown marmorated stink bug. Whether an incursion will ever happen in New Zealand, and despite our best efforts, there's a good chance it might if it hasn't already, some combination of these protections could save us, or at least seriously reduce the horrific levels of damage we've seen in Italy. Each year we can keep the bugs away means another year of study, another year searching for solutions and refining techniques for when and if that day might come. Thanks Damien. That story was produced by Damien Christie from the Aotearoa Science Agency. And a big thanks to everyone who was interviewed, including Max Suckling from Plant and Food Research. This Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 24th of October 2019. You can find this story along with photos and a short video at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there... Why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? RNZ, Our Changing World, the podcast, is on your favourite podcast app. Subscribe if you haven't already and please rate and review us if you can. The chemistry podcast RNZ Elemental is still alphabetically celebrating the 150th anniversary of the periodic table of elements and has reached silicon and silver. Check out the podcast page at rnz.co.nz for all sorts of RNZ podcast delights, including the video series The Aotearoa History Show, taking a look at New Zealand and its people, and Two Cents Worth, which is a weekly look at business and economics with a Kiwi spin. If you'd like to get in touch, we're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Na mihi. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.